This is Many Windows. We are part of the Independent Podcast Network. Find other great shows at independentpodcast.network. Many Windows is a podcast in which we explore stories from the wide range, from the wide world of education, from the perspective of two education leaders with more than 40 years collective experience. My name is John Cassie, and I am joined as always by my dear friend and co-host, Jennifer McGlemory. Jennifer, how are you today? I'm great. We're on summer vacation. So what could be better? What could be better? Yeah. It's it's very strange. I've been in this job for forever, right? And the transition out of regular business into sort of summer business, administrative summer business, is so jarring that it my head sort of spins for, mm. for, for a week before I can sort of settle in. I'm properly settled in now, right? Um, but you know, this idea, oh, teachers, you, know, you get six months off and all this kind of nonsense. It makes me crazy because it's just a different kind of work that you do right? in the yeah. summer, right? You can't, you cannot do the September to June work unless you do the July and August work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, preparation and reading. For, yeah. And new Clearly assessments for- and all this stuff. For administrators, there's a ton of work that has to happen in the summer, but I know for teachers too, and I know that's where we push all the professional development is to sure. the summer. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I I know that the last couple of months of school, I'm just pushing everything. Oh, like, well, June, June, I'll just do that in June, you know, and all right. these things. And then in June, I'm fried and right. don't really feel like doing that uh, heavy thought work. Um, which we push to June and all the planning, but that's, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in as soon as school is over, get out of town, you know, take that vacation right away as soon as you can, then come back refreshed, you know, and come back a little earlier. Some people I think like to do a vacation right before school starts, which is also smart. I like to do both. I like to do a little something at the end and a little something right before school starts. Yeah. 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 If you if you try to do like a master schedule mm-hmm. or some uh, you know something big like that in June, the 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 mental capacity not being there invites catastrophe. Yeah. Right. And not having a few days of break just before you go back to normal business means that your your sort of reservoir of joy. Yeah right, is not full. It needs to be full when you start mm-hmm. because uh, things will happen that sort of drain it out over the course of the year, right? Yeah. If it's not full, it'll empty before the year's over. And I think, you know, it's it's just as true for teachers who, oh, yeah. you know, want to learn more about, like I just did a couple of trainings in June on uh, Linda Mood Bell, uh, just because it's something I've always wanted to be trained in. Yep. And, you know, they offered, they offered it in June, but I could see a lot of the other adults in the, in our zoom class right. were just finishing up school and they were just fried. And I thought, yep. you know, you need a little vacation first and then do something like that. Um, 100%. And then you've got kind of the summer to be noodling it over and thinking about how you're going to implement it next year and what it's going to look like. Right, right. So so all, all of that 
being said, happy summer. Yep. And although this work, is probably this is probably going to drop right as people are going back to school, right? So I hope everybody. I'll have to drop it earlier. Uh, yeah. Uh, welcome back to school, suckers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, our season this year has been about myth, and our uh, our, our myth today is is centered on classroom management discipline sort of practices right and the the myth that we're going to explore is that that anything other than a sort of coercion practice is 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 quote unquote soft on crime and yeah i guess it's and, the myth yeah. The myth of punishment. I mean, the I would go so far as to call yeah. it punishment. Okay, I like that. Because we're going to talk about that word and why it's not the right approach. And this is not just classroom-based. This is also school-wide, right? right? Because we've both been in the situation of being responsible for school-wide discipline. And what a lot of people expect is the doling out of punishment. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about how how that has to start at a classroom level, but then how to scale it up to a school level and maybe why harsh punishment doesn't actually work to right. to do to have the effect which you want. The effect that you want, I would hope, is that students would behave better and harsh punishment does not result in that. Right. A school is a community hmm. a an independent school like like mine you might even describe as an intentional community right because it, it's not it's not uh it's not a public trust right and so when you're building an intentional community the the goals of community development work uh are centered on a, a a, a mission that maybe is a little specific, right? That it's narrower maybe than a public school's mission might be. Um, but regardless of whether it's an independent school that's small or a public school that's large, everyone in the school is part of a community. And if you want that community to function at its, at its best, you can take it to the bank that a school that's centered on a harsh punishment regime is not going to be that. Yeah. And it's because you do have to think about what your goals are. So of course, everyone thinks about, Oh, well, something like military school or, right. you know, something with, with just so much structure, but ultimately ruling with fear. Right. So that's what I want to distinguish between is, yeah, you I think that you can make kids afraid enough that they will not step out of line. Okay. Uh, I, I think that breaks down, though, at a certain point. But that's something that we all have in the back of our mind as a, as adults who have lived in those scenarios and seen television shows and you you have this idea that oh yeah if you just are really strict would be the word you know yeah. everyone's going to fall in line 
However, one of the books that I really like, and it's been, it's been around for a long time. We'll have, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's called positive discipline. Yeah. It talks about, you know, punishment or this idea of these harsh consequences that are a little bit arbitrary, you know, at times it's like, right. Oh, you forgot your homework. So now you're going to have to go run laps out on the playground. Okay. Well, that's right. not a match. Right. right. That's uh, and so uh, in the heat or do push ups or something like that. Right. That's not a match in that it's a natural consequence, yeah, natural or logical, consequence. logical yeah. consequence to not doing your homework. Right. So when we don't match up the offense to the consequence, it results in um, feelings of frustration for the child that right. end up coming out as more behaviors underlying rage and anger and just the desire to act out you know to to be pitted against that authority figure that's why that punishment that strict punishment doesn't work because it then just creates in a child not someone who's interested in being part of this community being part of the learning environment correcting their behavior but someone who's now like oh yeah all right, well, let me start plotting my revenge. Correct, right? The, 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 the adolescent, middle school age, high school age, is hardwired to push against adults and authority, to test the limits of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of what is allowed and what isn't allowed, and to take risks at a level that fully, fully baked adults, you know, the cake is done, Mm -hmm. don't do. And that, that, that children, but pre-adolescents don't have the independence, they don't have the capacity to do, right? If with those kinds of people, you know, uh, an adolescents are a different kind of person, right? Because they're wired totally differently, mm-hmm. right? If with that kind of person you create a a a hostile environment and you make it about power mm. and you make it about my authority and this sort of thing, that is the gold standard for causing that person to push even further against a norm or a boundary if it's arbitrary either because it is or because it feels it right Mm -hmm. it makes it worse and so what you end up with is you by virtue of trying to to be strict we'll, we'll keep using that term for now right of being strict you actually exacerbate the problem you think you're trying to create, uh, uh, correct, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't solve the problem. It makes it worse. And it actually not only damages the adolescent, but encourages in them behavior that you would otherwise not see. Mm-hmm. And so, well, that's a, that's a double no to me. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't want either of those things. So we've got to go in another direction, Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was certainly, well, I mean, kind of, I was kind of 
a strict. That's how I build myself or mm. early, 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 mm. late mm-hmm. 90s. Yep. But what I think I was, was very clear. And also, uh, I think as an instructor, my my native uh, intelligence on how to run a classroom gravitated without having read anything, gravitated to natural consequence. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I've always really been a natural consequences kind of person uh, when, I, when I'm really doing the work effectively. There's plenty of times I've done the work not effectively, right? Where I have been right. sort of arbitrary and where I have been like, no, I just need you to sit there <laughs> for five minutes while I do this other thing. Yeah. And I'm not going to explain myself to you. Normally I do. Yeah. But in this case, what I need is I'm trying to run a room with a hundred people in it. Mm-hmm. And I just need you to shut up <laughs> for two minutes so that I can do this. Right. 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 Now, you know, Jennifer, we talk a lot about, about history and, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, the past of, you know, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of thing. Right. And you're from California, right? Yes. I'm from Massachusetts, okay? I grew up in a context where public education was mandated in the in the charter of Massachusetts Bay in like mm. the 1650s. Wow. So public education in Massachusetts has always been central to the Commonwealth's identity. Hmm. That's why Massachusetts and Connecticut, these sort of Puritan colonies, always have like, they're always in the top five in any state, you know, any state measure of anything. They're always the very best, right? Because they've been at it a long time. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're as these things go, they've always been student-centered, more so now than it was in the, in the back in the day, right? The idea of corporal punishment, okay? Well, that was, that was outlawed, uh, you know, 150 years ago, okay? Now, have I told you this story? No. Okay. So I'm in Texas. That's where my first job is. Very different culture than Massachusetts. Okay. My first job is in Dallas. And after a year of settling in, I decided to take a couple of graduate school courses at the University of North Texas. I'm just kind of noodling. I'm reading books and, you know, I'm not in a degree program. Okay. And this one class that I'm in is about uh, school management. And it's led by an elementary school principal who's dynamite. I love her. Okay. And we're given the, like the manual of how do you run the uh, Dallas Independent School District? This is the 90s, okay? And it's this massive three ring binder, 9 million pages, okay? Read it and bring things to class that you find, you know, and sort of intriguing, right? And we get to class and I raise my hand and I say, I'm, I gotta, I've gotta ask, I'm wondering about this. So I'm on page 250, right? And it's all the protocols for beating children, right? <laughs> it's the protocols for, for corporal punishment. Yes. And I said, I, I, I'm wondering if I've got an old book or <laughs> is, this, is this actually a thing? I said, because, you know, look, I'm from, I'm from, you know, kind of pinko leftist Massachusetts. <laughs> we abandoned this practice in like, in like the Van Buren administration, you know, like, like, no, beating children? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. And you know the size of the paddle, right? And you know all this kind of stuff, right? 
And this principal who I adored was like, how else are you, do how else are you going to maintain order? Mm -hmm. And I said, are you, are you saying that the only way to maintain order is through terror? And she said, oh, well, now you're, there you go, flying your, 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 you know, pinko left wing <laughs> flag. I'm like, I don't even know what to say to any of you people. And everyone in the room, of course, is a Texan other than me. Yeah, and they're right. like, oh, you people from the East, <laughs> you're so, I'm like, really? This is the 90s, right? So, so you know, different parts of the country, different listeners, different countries, in fact, you know, because we have an international, we have international mm -hmm. listeners, right? You, you know, will undoubtedly come at this from very different perspectives. But um, the idea, historically, that discipline is about the rod, mm -hmm. right? Spare the rod, spoil the child, right? You know, that 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 that's that's uh, deeply ingrained in many parts of the country. Now, was that your experience, Jennifer, here in California? Well, I was in private schools, you know, right. and I was in elementary school in the 80s. Yeah. And I absolutely remember that paddling was something that you got sent to the principal's office to be oh, paddled. Wow. Oh, you know, wow. that that was a potential con consequence. Yeah. I also remember um, myself probably, you know, in like my admin program, this would be in the 2000s, yeah. learning for the first time that corporal punishment was not outlawed in like 26 states. You know, to this day, I think it's a maybe 24 now. Yeah, but yeah. about half of the states today, corporal punishment is not illegal. I think it is now in California. But then again, you know, do private schools have to follow those same um, laws when it comes to education if they're not taking federal funding? You know, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure about that. But. Yeah, it's uh, I think we so many of us, if you're. If you're if 50 or over, um, many, many people grew up with that paddle or board of education. Or I think even right. when I went to um, became the principal of the middle school where uh, there was a board, you know, a paddling board that the principal passed on to me as a joke saying, oh, we found this. And, you know, oh, yeah. so it. it obviously we kind of joked about using it anymore but just kind of keeping it around saying like yeah this is in our recent history that this was used right and i remember you know so there are a lot of there are a lot of teachers who grew up in this time yeah. older teachers who have grown up in this veteran excuse me veteran teachers who have grown up and we fall back on that way of thinking because it's how we grew up and when you're a child in school, you don't understand necessarily the intricacies of how a classroom culture is set up by the teacher and how they maintain order and discipline and what they're doing. But that, but everybody remembers that threat of going to the principal's office and some sort of harm is going to happen to you there, right? So I think teachers, some teachers today expect that when they're at their wits end and they've done everything they can figure out to do with a child in their classroom and they've gone through all the steps and they just need them out of the classroom and they need something to happen to them to get the message through, they fall back on that. Well, you send them up to the office, you send them to the principal, and that's where the big consequences happen.
Right. And they want, I think the problem is they want those to be harsh and they want them to be permanent. They I like they want the effects to be permanent. Once right. I've sent you to the principal's office, you're gonna come back as a new new person. Well right. ridiculous. We know that's not possible. We don't have magic wands uh, up in the administration building. So I try and always talk with teachers about managing their expectations right. about sending a child. Because honestly, I've been there where it's like, I just need this kid out of my room right now so that I don't murder them and so that I can actually get something done. Mm. <laughs> Right. One of us is not going to survive this class period. And, you know, if he and it if isn't child be, stays in my room right here. now. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, my, my, my point has always been when I transitioned from being a faculty or an academic administrator to being a more uh, all school kind of thing, you know, when mm -hmm. I, when I became a dean, uh, at the school where I was a dean, it had both an academic component and a social and a, uh, you know, advisory and all of it. Okay, so it's a tricky little job to navigate because at nine o'clock you might have the kid in your room, and at eleven o'clock uh, you've got them back in your room for some totally different purpose, right? Mm. Disciplining them at nine and you're providing them with pastoral care at 11. And mm -hmm. then you're providing them with academic advice at one o'clock, same kid, mm -hmm. totally different roles, right? Um, for me, it was always a matter of trying to understand the school culture, right? Because the school had a spiritual mission and the, 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 uh, the perspectives of the school were understandable, right? So don't do these things because it harms the community in this way, mm. right? So it's about understanding how to harm, don't harm the community, right? And if you've made a choice, I never say mistake because I don't, that whole mistake framework, I think is, it's intended to just, ex, it excuses mm. totally inappropriate behavior. I say it's a choice. Mm. You made a decision. It had, it, it's not the right, you didn't make the right one. Mm -hmm. Oh, I made a terrible mistake. Yeah, well, yeah, but what really is at the heart of it is that you made a choice. Your brain led you mm. to a decision path and you went left. You should have gone right. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the decision point. So that when you have this again in your life, which inevitably you will, you will be thoughtful and you'll choose the other path. Mm -hmm. Right. And that can be very helpful, right? To students. Can be very helpful to adults. This is where I think a school leadership practice has to go. How do you train a teacher to get better at being able to head off these things that are escalating? Mm -hmm. De-escalate them early enough so that you don't have to send the kid out doesn't always work. I understand that, right? Mm -hmm. I had students sent to me all the time as a dean. But if a teacher was routinely doing that, I would say you're undermining yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. right. You, you, yeah. you have to maintain order in your own classroom, whatever that looks like. And I can come in and look at what you're doing and give you advice. Maybe it has nothing to do with discipline. Maybe it has something to do with your instructional planning. 
Mm -hmm. right? Or maybe it has to do with the way you're assessing or something else that's generating a breach of trust that we can fix, right? But it's that it's that it starts in the classroom, the smallest community in the school. You know, is the classroom, is the team, is the is the band, et cetera, right? So I think one of the places where teachers struggle is um, with that impulsive kid. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there there's are. one, there's one student, there's a student who uh, is making that very intentional choice to do something in the yeah. classroom, yes. right? Where you can have that discussion that you just talked about, but then there's the kid that just blurts things out. And it was so funny. I was doing a student observation like about a month ago in a, in a classroom. And this kid that I was observing was like, uh, just a running commentary. Like he couldn't even help himself. Even when they were working by themselves, he was like talking to himself and it was so loud. And he's talking to the teacher, the, the teacher wisely had put his desk right next to hers because he's like right. in a constant conversation with the teacher. Um, right. You know? And so I'm thinking of these kids with ADHD and these, the, the impulsivity yeah. and like, they don't even realize they're not making a decision because they don't even realize and kids with ADHD don't have that foresight and right. often and don't naturally have that hindsight. Right. So it takes a lot of training with them to be able to recognize that point and where things went off the rails. And that does take real specific coaching and one-on-one, -on -one, you know, time with them. So you as the teacher are going to have to decide, you're going to figure out quickly who that kid is, who's just like, blah, blurts things out all the time and can't even help it. It's like, is this something that is so bothersome to you that you cannot ignore it? And I think there's, I always tell teachers, like there's a certain amount of behavior that you just have to ignore. Right. Right. We, right. sometimes we call it when we're working specifically like with a child in the autism program or a child with a, with ADHD or something like that, we sometimes called it call it planned ignoring because it's like, yes, this is a very specific behavior we've identified. We are going to ignore it the first two times because it's attention seeking, right? Like all right. behavior has one of two functions to get something or to get out of something. Okay. Right. So if right. you want, you, if, if and we all know that kid who like wants to redirect the classroom attention to himself. So if you are well, teaching, <laughs> So if you're teaching and this and this kid is blurting things out, you know, jokes, the class clown blurting things out to get the class's attention on him. Well, if you stop the class and start to engage, even if you're like now so and so, you know, you're doing this and this and this and this and we can't. Well, he's just gotten exactly what he wants is that attention he or she she yep. you know, has gotten that attention, has achieved the mission of stopping your instruction, derailing the class and having the whole focus on, on him or her. Right. So you've given that you've reinforced that behavior positive. It's worked for him or her. She's going to keep doing it because it worked right. and you've just positively reinforced that. So sometimes we say, let a couple of those go, just ignore it. Just like you're the adult who's like, Ugh, 
whatever, keep going. Um, You're modeling for the rest of the class how to ignore those little things and stay on track, right? Really, really, you know, we look at, okay, what works, right? That is a big gold coin of perfect. That always works. It always works. Because the person who is seeking attention, the moment they don't get it, they're like, well, but I got it in every other class. Mm. Right. And I get it at home. Yeah. How it works how for it, them. How how dare you ignore me? Right. It just it it's like uh uh y- you know, it's 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 a story from uh, you, you know, from folklore and from, from you know, classic movies and things. You know, you you have a villain. Instead of being terrorized by the villain, you sort of you turn you turn your energies and you sort of laugh at the villain, mm-hmm. right? Then the villain is so disturbed by that that they sort of destroy themselves, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you're going to get the person who is the class clown or whatever always on side by doing that. Right. Well, and, that's, you do have to be careful about that because they yeah. will ramp up if if oh, it's yeah. not working right. They'll ramp up. So there are a few things you can do. So I usually tell teachers, you know, ignore the first one or two instances yeah. in a day, not, you know, ignore yeah. one yeah. or two. Yeah. Then you start using that proximity. So you need Correct. to let the, the child know that you know what they're doing. So you start uh, moving over to where you're still teaching, you're still doing uh, your thing, but you're getting closer and closer to that child. You may even put a rest a hand on their shoulder, or you may tap the desk or use some sort of nonverbal cues, you uh, know, eye connection, like, hey, you know, I see you, I see what you're trying to do. I'm not going to let you derail me. You're trying to communicate that nonverbally. Right. So they don't think that it's like, oh, this person doesn't know what the teacher doesn't know what's going on. You're there's one thing I remember reading this too in a survey with kids of uh, this research about what kids think is a, a great teacher. And it was ultimately all of their comments were defined by this phrase with itness. Oh, so you're you as if the teacher and you think about this, the teacher in the classroom is with it. They get it. They see what that kid is doing. They're able to communicate to the class. I see what's happening. You see that I'm ignoring this kid. We're all going to ignore. Right. And you're doing this non-verbally. Right. This is the gifted teacher. So you start kind of sidling up to that, the the child who keeps blurting out and then you start to give them a look, you know, the teacher look, the little tap you do. You start doing those little things. And then if it's like four and five times now, you know, then you have to have your 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 little phrases that you use. And it's like, I, Julie, I'd love to hear from you, but let's. Uh, let me finish my lecture in 10 minutes. We can talk about that. You know, like the something, something that just gets you not a question, not a, what do you think you're doing? What, you know, we say engage them. It's got to be a shutdown response. It's got to be a, like, I, you know, I need you to, and this is where establishing those rules is really helpful to come back to that. So I do want us to talk about how you establish those kind of rules that are then going to help you in those situations right? to call back to these agree an agreed upon set of rules right? in the classroom helps so much, right? Yeah, it becomes a sort of a, 
social contract, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this is where, you know, a few minutes ago I was talking about, well, let me come in and look at what you're doing because it yes. may not, it may be solvable through a path that you're not thinking about, right? So I'm thinking about this, this example that you gave, right? If I had that student in the classroom and they were, and I was lecturing a lot and they were disrupting it, what I would advise that teacher is to lecture far less, good advice anyway, mm. right? But lecture in seven minute blocks and then give 10 minute blocks of kind of work and reflection. And in those blocks, while you're circulating, you can circulate to that student and talk to them one-on-one -on -one in a way that makes it clear to them that you know what's going on and to the class that you care enough about their learning to, 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 to do that work. And yeah, that that's, I mean, that's a good point. I'm also thinking about um, like the science teacher who's giving instructions on a lab and it's, yeah. you know, these dense, you know, I got it. We got to talk about all the things that could possibly go wrong. This is the procedure you got to follow. I just need to give you this information before you yeah. can do this thing. And yeah. you keep getting derailed by this student. So maybe that's a good point. Maybe what you can say is when you see this happening, you can break up that um, heavy procedure list into like, okay, everybody go get your supplies right now. Here's the checklist. Go and do, you know, I've taught you how to go get your supplies, go get them. To give yourself that minute or two to go over to that child and say, listen, we got safety is a big concern in this class. You know that this is yep. one of our rules is that we have to have a safe classroom to do that. I've got to go through this procedure and it's really difficult for me when you keep interrupting. So I'm going to need you, you know, and if you can't do that, then you're not going to be able to participate in this, in this lab. Right. Right. And have that little conversation and then go back. Maybe then, okay, everyone's got their materials, put them on your desk. Don't touch them. Let me finish my uh, yeah. next step and you break up your procedures into step by step instead of trying to give them all at the beginning. Probably good for most learners anyway. Yeah, true. And if you're talking to the student one-on-one, -on -one, there's no fuel in the mm -hmm. fire, mm -hmm. right? There's no, they're, they're, getting, they're getting no gas. Mm -hmm. They're just having a conversation with you where you are not interested in whatever they're, they're nonsense attempt is mm -hmm. right so what you you give them attention but it's not the attention they want mm -hmm. and, well, and and it also i think some of those kids actually are legitimately craving attention because they're not getting it somewhere else in their life right right, right? So that so you're flipping the you're flipping the script and you are fulfilling an emotional need that they uh -huh. have that because it's unfilled, they're acting out. So, Correct. you know, you're doing two things. You're not allowing them to derail your class. You're not allowing them to get that peer attention, but you are giving them some of your attention and saying, I see you. And that's Correct. powerful, not just in a negative way, but in a positive way. It, look, in, in my experience, when teachers can master this, what we're talking about right now, the students most likely to be affected are the ones in most need of an adult mm -hmm. in their life who's actually caring, attentive, and listening. Teachers care about children. Absolutely. Uh, aberrations? Of course, because there are 
10 million teachers in the United States, okay? There will always be aberrants, teachers who are nasty to children and who shouldn't be in the profession, mm-hmm. of course. But the overwhelming majority of teachers respect children, mm-hmm. love adolescents. They want to work with them. They want to see them grow. They want to see them succeed. That's what the profession, that's that's the emotional payoff. So these totally pain in the behind kids, I I always gravitate to. Like, yeah. I'll bring you around. Build right? that relationship. I'll early. bring you around. I'll build a you know, I'll build a connection with you. Yep. Right. And once you do that, you've got the opportunity, conceivably, to figure out what's really going on. Yeah, and that's and what I believe move, at the end of the in. at the end of the day. I really believe you can't have a discussion about school-wide discipline without talking about social emotional learning because when the school when the student body is out of control there is a social emotional need that is that is unmet yeah so you can school-wide have a program to address social emotional learning and needs they generally don't work well, I don't know. I don't know about that. I haven't you mean seen... like an assembly or do you mean like No, a... no, I'm oh, talking okay. about a pro a school-wide program where teachers in their classroom have a curriculum or oh, have okay. something that they're yes, not you bring in somebody for a, a lecture for the day. No. Yeah, that, that's what I that's what I heard. So yeah. Programs like there's a great one called Project Wayfinder. Um oh. yeah, that is really it's it's geared for high school. And uh, but there is a middle school component and the first couple of years of the program focuses on belonging, building a sense of belonging in the students. So first, you know, personal and it has a lot of like accepting themselves and then belonging in a community, you know, in a in a in a group and then in a community and it builds out from that. I I really like that program. And if done with fidelity and it, it really only, there's like a a 20 minute lesson once a week that kind of lays the foundation. And there's all these activities for practicing things and like icebreakers and little five minute things you can do with the kids. It's got, it's got this whole bank of resources that build on these ideas um, that you can do. And then for the younger kids, you know, there's a lot of programs like Second Step, um, is another one I'm thinking of. There, there's a ton of them out there. If you just kind of Google social emotional learning curriculum, there's these programs. They have to be implemented by the teacher in the classroom. Right. It Correct. does not work to just try and do an assembly or expect that the uh, counselor is going to come in and do this because it's got to be infused into your everyday practice in the classroom. Correct, which, which will translate into it being a universal practice on your campus. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, that was a takeaway for me in my UCLA dissertation, you know, where, you know, where Mm -hmm. we, where we met in that program and where, you know, we both did the work that we did was uh, the only programs that are effective are sustained Mm -hmm. over multiple years in a school that one-offs and one, you know, once a year's have no effect. Right. And that the degree to which you bring students into the planning and development 
of mm -hmm. the program itself so that they are identifying problems that they see mm -hmm. rather than just the ones you see, right? Yeah. Uh, that's that's to the good, right? I can remember we did these great schools, uh, school climate surveys mm -hmm. at, at a former school, right? They were very detailed. They gave us very clear uh, challenges that, mm. that the students said we face. And in that community, it was, uh, we can, uh, if you get, if you do the wrong thing, you will be socially ostracized. So social separation was a thing that everyone, you know, mm. many, many, many students said that this is a thing on this campus. It's really bad, right? What students didn't, uh, and there was like <clears throat> wealth discrimination, like if you were perceived mm. as being uh, not wealthy, it was a hard place to be on campus, right? But what was not an issue at all was cyberbullying, right? Mm. Like, not at all. This does not happen here. Okay, right? So we read the report and it, quite literally the first thing that like, two of my colleague administrators and like a board, a couple of board members are like, well, you know, I've got this great cybersecurity, uh, you know, uh, cyberbullying uh, program. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be two assemblies. And, uh, and I said, <laughs> okay, stop. Right. Stop. Look, we just talked about this. It's on the board right now. Why are you programming to something we don't need mm -hmm. and doing it in the worst possible way? I don't recommend we do this, mm -hmm. right? Actually addressing the problem the students say they have, that's super hard. Yeah. Right? But if you don't, if, if you if you convince yourself of the wrong thing, if you convince yourself of the myth. Yeah, right. Then, then, then you're going to just, your classroom is not going to work the way that you want it to, and you're never going to understand why. And if you're a school leader, your school is going to be a place of tension and anxiety and uh, and not just in the students, but in the faculty. You cannot punish your way to a school community that's really nurturing, yeah. student developing, adult developing, right? You know, well, we and what you're talking about. So at, at that school, the issue was classism. And at the middle school I was at and uh, the district we were dealing with, as many schools are, racism. Sure. You know, and then there's the schools that are really dealing with homophobia. And yeah. like, and to a certain extent, number one, you cannot brush over these and go like, oh, this is too hard. But the second side of that is it is really hard. And these are societal issues. So you have to give yourself a little bit of a break and say, we're not going to solve this overnight with an assembly, right? <laughs> so oh, these right. are deep and you really have to do the work and you've got to dig in. You got to figure out where that's stemming from and, yep. and it's multifaceted, yep. the things that are happening, you know, so that's big work that has to be taken on really by a school, by a district. That's where administration really does come in helpful and bringing in experts, all of that. But there are things, and that feels overwhelming for teachers, and they want that fixed immediately, which we know can't be fixed immediately. But right. I think there are some things that can be done very simply um, it, 
the class at the classroom level that I, it was interesting. So, you know, I'm in this school psychology program and one of the classes that I'm, I have taken, I had to take an individual counseling class and a group counseling class and my group counseling book that I was reading about how to manage an effective group had okay. this whole section about establishing rules setting norms you know what to do when you have a kid trying to derail your group all these things i was like oh my gosh this is so clearly laid out this should be in every first year teacher handbook it, sure. it doesn't need to be a 700 page handbook it's like a chapter here and there are just some real solid things in here that i wanted to pass along that it just reminded me like yes, here's please. where you start this is the most important thing you do in the classroom. And then schools are building on this same work through programs like PBIS, Positive Behavior Interventions and Supports. You know, these yeah. are the macro programs, but it's all starting with this number one foundational idea of establishing the rules. Yeah. Right. And so how important that is. And there's there's different things you've got to do with this, but the educational research says that well-articulated rules and procedures in classrooms, it not only does it improve student behavior, it also increases motivation and academic achievement, right? So, yep. you know, Marzano's work is all yep. about that. Yep. And it's just, the research indicates it's this salient marker of effective teaching is the ability for teachers to use what they call antecedent focused interventions, right? So that's a fancy way of saying to establish and enforce appropriate classroom rules, you know, start with that classroom rules. Yep. So we're talking about general rules and there should really be limited to just five or six. And this is where you're, if you can establish those rules with the students together, you know, most kids know what they need to be successful and know what a successful classroom looks like. Even the young kids, you can kind of, you're shaping it. If you're talking about first grade, second grade, kindergarten, you can shape it. Um, but, you know, you, you start with saying like, how do we want this classroom to run? You know, and they'll even say, you know, they, they have like, oh, everyone should stay in their seat. And well, okay, there are times in this class where I'm going to want you to get up and we're going to move around and we're going to, you know, so I don't know that the rule is sitting in your seat. How do we, you know, take that idea and make that into a a, a group norm um, or a rule that will kind of work in all these different types? So, you know, like safety, you know, big ideas, like having a safe, respectful but you got to flesh them out a little bit more because I've seen some teachers who just have, you know, like four words, respect, um, uh, you know, safety, um, personal integrity. Like these are a little too vague, I think. They don't, they don't mean anything without a little more meat on the bones. Yeah, yeah. And I think that teachers who really spend that time, that first week of school developing those the that set of classroom rules, yeah. That's going to be your general norms that you can just refer back to. Well, we all agreed that we would give respect to others as one of our important classroom rules. So what does that look like? That means if somebody's speaking, we don't speak over them. You know, right. that if and then whatever for you as a teacher need, uh, I need when we're having a classroom discussion, I need you to raise your hand or I need you whatever that is. That's how you show me respect. And 
you know, and I will show you respect if I see that you're raising your hand, but I've already called on you three times that I would say, thanks, John, you know, for all of your great input today. I see that you're raising your hand, but I need to hear from somebody else. Like, so okay. I'm going to acknowledge you and that's how I'm going to show you respect uh, uh, so that you're not frustrated that you're there thinking I don't see you or I'm ignoring you. Right. So it really, those kind of well-crafted um, rules or, or norms, norms allow yeah. you to then have the language that you were for. Remember, we all agreed that, re that respecting one another was important to us. Right. So that looks like this. Exactly. What What's essential about this is two, two perspectives, I think. One, it's not about punishment. It's about good order and learning, which is what a classroom in a school should be about. Mm -hmm. And two, it provides the framework within which highly productive restorative justice practices can be deployed. Because if you don't have good norms, if you don't have clarity about the school's mission, values, intentions, who we are, et cetera, a restorative justice, an attempt to establish restorative justice as a practice, which is to say, you know, we're not punishing, we're trying to find a way, if there's been a breach to rebuild, mm -hmm. There's been a there's been a, a straining in the community. We want to rebuild it. Okay, rebuilding it towards what? What's the master plan of the architecture? Well, every school is going to be a little different. Fine. Respect may not be expressed as respect. It may be expressed in another way, or maybe understood in a different way. It's fine, mm -hmm. provided the norm is there that provides the context for what restorative justice is actually trying to restore. Yeah. And that's where it, it's, it's, if you're in this kind of command control, discipline, punish kind of, uh, kind of culture, there isn't anything that's tempting. We're not trying to restore anything. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's such power in school-wide norms. Yes. Right. That's what PBIS wanna tries to establish is a school-wide set of expectations and behaviors that all the teachers are kind of hanging their classroom rules yes. and expectations on that. But you know, you've kind of hit the nail on the head with respect. It, I see it all the time that that's that's a school-wide rule. It's a classroom rule. But okay. I see how it can also be abused. Uh -huh. Well, you know, the the playground supervisor, whoever is like, no, well, you have to respect me and do what I say, no matter what, even if I'm not respecting you. They don't right. say right. that exactly, but their actions say that, right? So you go from class to class and, and in some classrooms, the teacher wants you to raise your hand uh, to speak in class, but in other classrooms, that teacher doesn't care about that. They have a different Socratic seminar method, right? And raising your hand isn't important. So it it ultimately seems like, oh, it's the same rule. We have the school-wide rule about respect, but each classroom, it looks different. Right. Well, kids can adapt to that. They can code switch and they know which teachers want you to raise your hand and which teachers don't care about that. But I do think that as we work towards having this school-wide set of rules, that each teacher take that, make it 
explicit in their classroom and talk about what it looks like in their classroom. For sure. Has to be. Yeah. Children don't experience school as an all school gestalt. They experience it as four, five, seven, ten. Yeah. Instances of the school in their classrooms. And if you don't have some school-wide conversation about what the norms are, then the classroom's experience is just wildly, um, uh, it's almost unhinged, yeah. right? Like, like, well, I go to my history class and I feel like I'm at this kind of school. Mm-hmm. I go to my English class and I feel like I'm at this other kind of school, which should still feel the same. And that, 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 that that's, the, that's the leadership challenge, right? For, for my entire time when I was a principal, a high school principal in, in Pittsburgh, I would raise these questions. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why do you consider it normal to, to think that, that you should practice this way in your classroom? I don't see how that fits with anything we say about who we are as a school community. Hmm. So help me understand. And mostly the answer was, well, I've been left alone for 35 years Mm -hmm. and I'm not interested in your, in your helpful feedback, interloping principle from some other place. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There, I mean, there's definite power in what Hattie calls collective teacher efficacy, which simply means collectively the teachers and everyone on staff have agreed upon, you know, something, it could be a curriculum, it could be a a set of rules, it can be whatever it is. And then administering it, or that's not the word, but, but um, all speaking the same language and all using it in the same manner, but it's really hard to get to. So I want to, before we need to wrap this up, but I would like to, for the classroom teacher, give what I think is a really succinct set of steps for um, that group rule setting practice, because maybe you're listening to this and it's the very beginning of the school year and you need to do this right now. So let me just go through these seven steps. Okay. That I think are really helpful. So first initiate that conversation in the classroom at that very, you know, that first week of school about the importance of classroom rules and classroom norms, like have a discussion about it. Involve as many members, as many students as possible. So maybe you're giving them a little survey um, so that everybody has an opportunity, or maybe they're discussing it in small groups and okay. coming up with a um, their top three. And then you have the discussion based on that so that everybody feels like they're participating in this. Make sure step three is that you have a brief discussion about why rules are important and necessary. You know, give that context. Um, And four is invite students to brainstorm their hopes for the climate of the classroom. You know, what would you hope that this classroom, what would the ideal classroom look like? That might be another way to phrase it as you have kids talk about that and explain that kind of connection between classroom climate and rules, how they go together hand in hand. Then five, develop a list of group rules based on the student suggestions in the class discussion. Six, be sure that the the list includes rules related to member and personal safety. So safety's got to be in there. Yep. No tolerance for hurt or hate. 
I think yeah. that's got to be in there. Um, you know, staying on task or what we would call task orientation, you know, being on task um, yeah. and anything else that's kind of like a non-negotiable parameter for the that classroom group experience that you as the teacher knows with your experience has yeah. to be a part of it. And then yeah. finally, the last step is constructing that visual document that you can refer back to all year that you can point to. Oh. You know, that, that that allows you to say, remember, we agreed on this. I've seen some teachers pass it around and every kid signs it, you know, whatever. Right. Design it right. together, but have that, put it up so that you can refer back and refer back to it. Don't just let it be a piece of artwork that sits there on the wall and you never, you never talk about it again. It has to be living. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, if you can construct that good set where the, the students feel like they've been a part of it. And they've built this, it's how you set up that classroom climate and it'll lend itself throughout the year to, you know, coming back and discussions and, you know, those moments of check-in, you got to do it again. We come back from winter break, let's review these. How's it been going? What do we need to tweak as a class? And just like you said, building that, that sense of responsibility to one another for this space that we all share. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so I looked it up. How many states allow corporal punishment, Jennifer? Right now. Yeah. How many states? Guess. Well, I last last number I saw was like 24. 17. Okay. All right. Still Good. Been some movement, but still yeah. too many. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I love this conversation because it, it, it could almost be a whole season by itself, right? Yeah. You, know, you can true. invite a lot of teachers on and and ask them, well, well what do you do? And you know, mm -hmm. what does it look like when it doesn't work for you and this sort of thing? So I hope that this is the beginning of a conversation, the theme that we'll come back to, right? And certainly uh, I look forward to hearing thoughts on, uh, on this, what teachers are doing in their own classrooms to, uh, you know, to, to, to build community and to accomplish the learning goals. Is yeah, that, we'd love to hear more. If you want more on this topic, if you want a deeper dive, if you want multiple episodes where we talk to different people and, you know, for uh, being a band teacher is different than being a PE teacher. It's we'll different than being a science teacher when it yeah. comes to this topic in particular. Yeah. When it comes to this topic in particular. Yeah. It's radically different uh, 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 in how it looks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the goals are the same, but how you do it, very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, brilliant. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And Jennifer, you know, until next time. Yes. Okay. Good luck, everybody, as you're starting your school year out. And yep. I hope we've given you something that is really helpful and actually useful. Yeah. If you've got questions, just email us. Sounds okay. good. Until next time. Bye. Bye.